The scripture reading today is from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1, and then verses 6 through 8. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. And for in perfect faithfulness, you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Good morning. Uh, This is the time where our kids go to children's church. If you've got kids three years old through first grade, they're about to head that direction, so you can take them uh, that way. We've also got an attended nursery over there in the other building and, and of course, a cry room um, in the back if if kids, young or old, get restless or loud. So uh, that scripture that, that Pam read for us, uh, is not only a, a beautiful scripture, but it's also uh, a prophetic look at the realization of, of the, the, the fullness of coming into God's kingdom. It's looking ahead at the realization of, of God's kingdom uh, coming to be fully realized in eternity. And that is pictured through Isaiah's words as a feast, as a, as a banquet. And so we're going to return to that imagery uh, later on towards the end of our sermon this morning, but I wanted us to begin with that in mind, again, just because I think it's, it's beautiful imagery there from Isaiah, but also because uh, we'll come back to it and, and, um, and finish there this morning. Uh, but we are glad that you're here this morning, if you're visiting, we're, we're especially glad that, that you are here and um, grateful that, uh, that you've decided, uh, whether you're a member or visitor, to come and, and spend a morning worshiping together. Uh, we are sort of beginning a new series today, a series uh, on f- a, a topical look at forgiveness. And I'm really going to, as Jason, I mean, uh, not Jason, as Chris said, um, uh, next week is really when we're going to get into the forgiveness side of that. So you have to come back next week for that. And I'll kind of give more information about why and, and, and uh, why I chose that topic, what we're going to do in this series, all that will we'll come next week as we really dive into to the topic of, of forgiveness. Uh, but I was originally going to sort of spend like one week of the series on Joseph as kind of a character study, uh, looking narratively at, at forgiveness in the life of Joseph. And I decided instead to kind of make Joseph's story, Joseph's relationship with his brothers really be kind of the backdrop for this series. So as we go through the series, we're going to reference bits and pieces of Joseph's story. It won't be a character study necessarily of Joseph, so we'll just hit some bits and pieces here and there. If you want to read about it uh, yourself, it really starts in full in Genesis 37, going through the end of Genesis. Uh, so if you're looking for something to read, you can, you can read that this week. But we'll hit some highlights here and there and, and return to some themes that we see in their relationship. But to kind of get us going in that direction, what I wanted to do today is we're going to kind of uh, have an introduction of sorts to Joseph Maybe it'll be a reintroduction to Joseph if you have heard the story before or if you're unfamiliar with, with Joseph's story. Uh, this may be the first time you, you hear some of it. Uh, but we're going to kind of set the scene with Joseph and his brothers this morning. And then we're going to transition that into some time focused uh, on communion and what we do when we come together in communion. 
because uh, I think it's good for, especially for those of us who, who are in a tradition where we, where we take communion every Sunday, to sometimes pause and, and, and put a little more emphasis around it than we normally do, to talk about it a little more, to be reminded of what we do in communion and in remembering Jesus. Uh, so that's some of what we're doing this morning and, um, and where we're kind of headed. Uh, so with all that said, uh, like I said, we're going to start off talking about Joseph this morning. And I'm going to need a couple of uh, I need a couple of helpers, and I had a couple lined up this morning, and then we've got several people out this morning, so people are in different places. So Isley's going to come be one of my helpers, and then I need another uh, person who can come help me. You're going to have to read something. So if there's a younger-ish person, or we can go up to age if no one younger wants to do it. But if somebody wants to come and be Joseph for us, you can do that. You'll just have to read two things. Isley, you're going to come sit right here. Anybody? Any volunteers? Going once, going twice. We may have to go older. Somebody it can be boy or girl. Doesn't have to be. Zeke, are you in here? You want to come be Joseph still? All right, give Zeke a hand. I didn't catch Zeke was one of the ones who was going to be it originally, but um, no one else wanted to do it. So you came in at, per- at the perfect time. I could have just tricked them into thinking that I just asked you out of the blue. Now this is stuck. Hold on, Zeke, stall for time. All right, there's your lines. Uh, Isley, remember when I tell you to, you're going to read this. Where's that, uh, where's the mic? Do you still have that? Okay. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to, uh, okay. We're going to begin kind of with an overview of the story of Joseph. And Zeke and Isley are going to help us kind of uh, tell that story. They're going to be visual representations up here of some of the people in the story. Uh, So over here on this side, we have Joseph. Um, So Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham, to kind of put this in perspective where we are in the timeline. Great-grandson of Abraham. Uh, He is the son of Jacob. Uh, Jacob is, is Joseph's dad. Now, Jacob overall has 12 sons, and so Isley over here is going to represent the other 11 sons of Jacob, okay? Um, So you're representing 11 other people. Can you do that for me this morning? All right, thank you. Um, (coughs) Jacob has 12 sons by four different women, two of whom are sisters, and it's widely known between the two sisters that Jacob loves Rachel and not Leah. Uh, so you can imagine how there would be some interesting family dynamics that develop, right? Um, you can, if you want to read more of that, that's a little farther back, Genesis 29 and 30. Genesis 30 is, will just, I don't know how you would engage that family in counseling based on Genesis 30. Bill, uh, Marcia, Jason, that would be an interesting thing to just kind of have a podcast on of what you would do in counseling with Jacob's family, because it's, a, it's, a, it's crazy, the, the family dynamics that we have there. Uh, and so um, what we find out then is that, as is fitting for a guy who has a favorite wife between the, the two of his wives and the two other women he has kids through, uh, Jacob has a favorite son, and his favorite son is Joseph. Uh, Now, the text tells us that Joseph is his favorite son uh, because uh, Joseph was born to Jacob in his old age. But again, Joseph is also the oldest son of Jacob's favorite wife. So there's many levels here to the favoritism. The favoritism, the jealousy runs generations long. Um, And so there's all kinds of favoritism at play, jealousy at play here. And all the other brothers... All the other brothers know that Joseph is his favorite. You know how they know? 
Who knows the story? The coat. They probably know for many reasons. But one reason is that Jacob, dad, decides to make Joseph this really colorful, ornate robe. Uh, implying that this was not a gift received by all 12 sons. <laughs> this was special to Joseph. Everyone knows that Joseph is the favorite, probably uh, Joseph included. Uh, so, Isley, I want to ask you, have you ever felt like, like your brother got special treatment or got something that you didn't get? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You did? How does that make you feel? Mad. Mad. Yes, that's good. Uh, because this is, Joseph's brothers are very mad. They're mad, they're angry, they're jealous. It says they even hated their brother. Uh, now, I want to pause here for just a minute. Um, because we're going to return to this later in the series. But you, you, it, it makes sense, I think, just from a human perspective, that their anger, their jealousy, their hatred gets directed at Joseph. Uh, really, they're mad at Jacob. Uh, they're mad at Dad. Uh, they're angry at dad. It gets taken out, though, on favorite brother. Um, you can probably think of examples of that in our own lives. Uh, we're going to come back to that later in the series, maybe even a little bit at the end today, but keep that in mind um, for later in the series. Uh, so they're angry, they're upset, they're frustrated. Meanwhile, Joseph over here is now 17 years old. Um, and at this point in the story, uh, if you are just reading the story along with the timeline, Joseph kind of comes across as a little entitled, a little arrogant. Sorry, Joseph. Um, Especially if you don't know the end of the story, that's just kind of how he comes across. So, for instance, uh, one day Joseph and some of his brothers are out in the field watching the sheep. um, And it says Joseph goes and gives a quote-unquote bad report about his brothers to his dad. Uh, So, again, if you're the other brothers, favorite brother goes home and tattles on his other brothers because what they're doing, goofing off out in the field, right? Uh, this doesn't sit very well with the brothers. Uh, but Joseph just keeps bringing this upon himself. So then Joseph has a dream. This is where you, you ready to read your dream for us. Joseph has a dream, and he decides it would be a good idea to tell everybody about it. So he, he calls all his brothers together uh, and says this. Listen to this dream. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundles stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Okay. For some reason, Joseph thought that would be a good idea to share that with his brothers. (laughs) Which means Joseph is either incredibly oblivious to what his brothers think of him, which is probably not true. Uh, He knows. Everybody knows. Uh, Or he knew and decided it would still be a good idea to tell his brothers about this dream. Um, So you can imagine then how that makes the other 11 brothers feel, right? Uh, So how do you feel about that, other 11 brothers? This is when you're going to read that, okay? You ready? We hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. That's right. Hated him. Is it nice to hate people? Should you hate people? No. No. Let's get that clear from the start. Do not hate siblings. Um, So they hated him all the more, not only because of his dream, but also because of what he had said. Did you catch that? Like, it's not just the fact that he had the dream, but you had the audacity to gather us all up and tell us about it. Um, And if that's not bad enough, Joseph then has another dream. And in this dream, he, ha- he dreams that the sun and the moon and 11 stars are bowing down to him. So maybe you have known someone in life who it just like they acted like the world revolved around them. Anybody ever known? Don't look at anybody, but if you've known someone like that, <laughs> raise your hand. 
Um, Joseph not only thinks the world revolves around him, he has a dream that the entire universe as he knows knows it is bowing down before him. Uh, So now the hatred, the jealousy, the anger just burns and burns and burns because, of course, he tells his brothers about this dream. And at this point, even dad is like, in my, this is Warren's interpretation of, the, of this verse. Dad's like, all right, Joseph, like, ease up. <laughs> uh, just do you hear the words that you're saying? Like, maybe, maybe don't tell your brothers these dreams you're having. Because uh, it's becoming pretty clear that, that Joseph is not very well liked by his brothers and that he himself is not helping the situation. All right, so we're going to go through the next part of the story really quick. Uh, Joseph's brothers <coughs> end up becoming so fed up with, with Joseph that they decide, we've had it with this guy, we're just going to kill him. One of the brothers, though, convinces them not to. They end up selling him to the Midianites, who are on their way to Egypt. Uh, they sell him to the Midianites. Uh, they take this, this uh, insultingly beautiful coat uh, that, that Joseph has. They, they cover it in goat's blood and give it to their dad in what had to be a really weirdly cathartic experience. Um, give it to dad and say, Joseph was killed by a wild animal. Uh, we're sorry, nothing we could do. And Jacob, of course, is, is heartbroken and just devastated. Uh, so Joseph then ends up getting sold to a, a man in Egypt by the name of Potiphar. And this is where we hear something in the story that, that continues to come up in Joseph's story. That as Joseph is sold uh, as, as property to Egypt, in Egypt, uh, there's a verse that says, I'm finding here so I quote it just right, uh, a verse that says, the Lord was with Joseph. So Joseph rises to a high level of importance in Potiphar's house. He's, he's given uh, responsibility over everything in Potiphar's house. Um, and, and at one point, though, uh, Potiphar's wife, who tries to seduce Joseph, uh, but Joseph, in his integrity, says no. Uh, so Potiphar's wife gets angry and accuses Joseph of doing something that he didn't do. And so because Joseph has been trying to act in integrity, uh, he gets blamed for something, gets thrown into prison. Uh, but there... While in prison, we are told that the Lord was with Joseph. So the warden in prison puts Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. And then it just so happens that two of Pharaoh's officials end up being thrown into prison. And these two officials have dreams. Now, this is good. This is good timing because dreams are something, remember, of a specialty for Joseph. Um, Joseph does well with dreams. And so Joseph says, well, tell me about your dreams. Uh, Because Joseph is a rare person who not only likes to tell others about their dreams, that's not rare, but he likes to hear about other people's dreams. I hate hearing about other people's dreams. It's a pet peeve of mine. Um, You can tell me if you want, but Ashley will say, I had a dream last night, and I'll say, you've got 10 seconds. (laughs) Tell me in that amount of time. Uh, So Joseph says, all right, tell me about your dreams. So the first official tells Joseph about his dreams, and Joseph says, I've got good news for you. Uh, this dream means that in three days, Pharaoh's going to come get you out of prison. You're going to be restored to your position. And so that's great. Everybody's happy. And so this, though, Joseph pauses here, and this is what Joseph says to that guy. I want you to listen closely to what Joseph tells this cupbearer. All right. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even when I have done nothing to deserve being put in, put in a dungeon. All right, thank you. All right, give our helpers a hand. Y'all can go sit down. Thank you very much. Got it, guys. Thank you. All right, so he interprets this dream 
tells this official, if, we, if you get out of here, if this happens like I said, remember me because I'm here for no reason. Uh, that would seem to be a pretty easy thing to remember. Um, if someone is able to interpret and tell you your future, it would seem to be an easy thing to remember that person when you get out of this dire situation that you're in. Uh, one would think. So the next guy then, we're going to come back to that in just a second, because the next guy then is starting to get excited. He says, oh, me, do me next. Uh, let me tell you about my dream. Tell me what's going to happen. So the other official tells Joseph, and Joseph says, oh, you're dead. Like, <laughs> this is not going to go well for you. Uh, three days, you're going to get called out too by Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's going to kill you. Uh, so fast forward three days. <coughs> three days go by. Three days is not a long time. Both of these guys are sitting there probably thinking about nothing but these dreams for three days. Um, three days go by. It happens just as Joseph predicted. Both the men are brought out of prison. The cupbearer is restored to his position, and the other guy is killed. You would think in this moment, this is when the cupbearer would think, I need to tell everybody about this guy in prison who's there for no good reason, who interpreted our dreams and completely told us our future, right? This would be the perfect time to do that and to, this is the one favor uh, that Joseph asked, just remember me when you get out and tell Pharaoh about me. And so here's what it says, though. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, and just to rub it in, he forgot him. He did not remember him, he forgot him. A whole two years go by before Pharaoh himself has a dream that he doesn't know what to do with. And then finally, this cupbearer is like, oh, yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> uh, I know where you can find someone who can tell you what that means. And finally, Joseph gets out of prison. I think, though, as we look at Joseph's story, I think most of us can in some way relate to a part of what Joseph goes through. Uh, maybe at some point in life, either in the past or in the present, you have experienced someone taking out their frustration their misplaced anger, jealousy. Maybe you've experienced someone taking that out on you when it really should have been directed somewhere else. Uh, that doesn't feel very good. You don't know what to do with that. Maybe at some point in life you have, have, have tried to act in integrity and you've tried to do the right thing and, and you're trying to live the way God wants you to live and it just seems though like, like nothing can go right. In fact, it seems like with every, every choice that you make trying to live with integrity, it's almost as if you're being punished for that, mistake, for, for that choice, being punished for doing the right thing. Or maybe you just feel like you've been neglected or forgotten. And no matter how many times you, you, you cry out directly or indirectly for, for someone to remember you or for God maybe even in your relationship with God to remember you, it just feels like no one is listening and you're sitting in a lonesome cell waiting for someone to remember. I think in, in one way or another, many of us can relate to Joseph in some way. And yet through the story, we are reminded that the Lord was with Joseph. And the text never tells us this, but, but it seems that from our constant reminder of that and the words that we have from Joseph later in the story that we'll get to as we go through this series uh, that Joseph's enduring spirit, his ability to not let any of these things break him, his ability to, to keep striving and perseverance through all of these, these setbacks and things that he doesn't deserve, it seems to me that what keeps him going is this knowledge and this faith and this confidence and this trust 
that the Lord is with him always. Every Sunday, we come together and we come to worship and we come to read scripture and pray together. And we come together around the table to remember that the Lord is with us. Uh, The table represents many things. But one of the things that I think it represents, uh, hopefully most powerfully for us, is that the Lord is with us. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, God calls his people to remember. He calls his people to remember their time in Egypt, in slavery. He calls his people to remember his works amongst them. He calls his people to remember their deliverance and and the many ways that, that God has rescued them over and over again. And most of those calls to remember are tied to some kind of of festival or feast or celebration. Because God knows that people will forget stuff easily and quickly, even important things. Uh, I'm willing to bet that if you thought right now there's something this week that you have forgotten to do. Maybe it was something small like take the trash out. Maybe it was something big like forgetting your anniversary. Whatever it may be, uh, we forget things. Because we're people. And like the cupbearer, there are times that we forget. But God always remembers. Uh, Not long before Jesus' crucifixion, uh, Jesus sits down with his disciples uh, and does what we call kind of instituting the communion. Uh, He does this uh, over a Passover meal that they are sharing and celebrating. And so he initiates a a new feast of remembrance, uh, kind of on top of or giving life to, giving new life and meaning to a feast of remembrance that his disciples would have been very familiar with. And so each Sunday, we are invited to the table to share in the same elements of the meal that they shared together that night. And in doing so, we are called to remember Jesus. We remember his life, his ministry, his mission. We remember his humility, his love, his compassion. We remember his servant heart, his healing hands, his enduring spirit. We remember his death, his burial, his resurrection. But I think we are also called to remember uh, so that we are able and have trust and confidence to look forward. So I want to read for you a few verses from Luke 22. Uh, this is where, this is right before kind of the, the famous words of, that we know of Jesus handing out the bread and the cup and saying, do this in remembrance of me. So this is in Luke 22, uh, verses 15 through 18. I'm actually going to start in verse 14. <coughs> but starting in verse 14 in Luke 22, they're already gathered for this Passover meal. And so in verse 14, it says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he's speaking of a a coming feast in the full realization of, of the kingdom of God, something that's going to come later. And then after that, if you keep going there, is when it says he took the bread and gave thanks for it, uh, took the cup and gave thanks for it, and, and we have that part that we know is kind of the instituting of 
what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. But twice there, Jesus says, I'm not going to be doing these things again until they, they come to fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Something will come, that will come later and something that is pictured as a feast or a meal or a banquet. Uh, Matthew and Mark both record very similar words. And later, when Paul talks about communion in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, he says that whenever we take this, bre- this bread and cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. It's something that we are doing, not only looking back, but we are also looking forward. There's a forward-looking element to our time around the table, that we gather around the table for communion, not only to look back, but also to look forward. Uh, this is where we'll bring that scripture from Isaiah back into it that, that Pam started us with this morning. Uh, the one where Isaiah paints the scene of the coming of the kingdom of God as a feast, as a banquet. And so from the time of Isaiah, the, the full embodiment of God's reign has been imagined by God's people as a banquet, as a feast. And so then you get to Jesus' ministry, and, and this imagery is now very well known to Jewish people. And you hear it come up from time to time in Jesus' ministry. Uh, for instance, there's one time where they're gathered at a dinner party, and, and one guy kind of blurts out in the middle of the meal. He says, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. In other words, blessed is the man who will eat with God in eternity, who will be a part of this fulfillment of God's kingdom. And Jesus takes that opportunity then to tell what we know as the feast of the banquet a parable about looking ahead to what this feast will look like in the coming age. This language then continues all the way through Revelation to Revelation. And the book of Revelation culminates with this marriage feast, this wedding feast that takes place in the full realization of the kingdom of God. And so from Isaiah to Jesus to Revelation, the coming full expression of the kingdom has been symbolized and 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 visualized as a feast. And so when Jesus says, I will not eat this again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God, he's using common language and common terminology and common imagery to pull our eyes forward, to cast our gaze towards what we are looking forward to. The Lord's Supper paints a picture not only of what has already happened, but also of what is yet to come. As one writer has said, the Lord's Supper looks backward as a remembrance to the death of Christ for our sins. It looks to the present as a communion with the living Christ, a reminder uh, that God is with us. And it looks to the future as a promise of eternal life in the presence of God. The bread and the cup aren't just reminders that Christ came. They are reminders that he dwells with us here and now and that he is coming back again. And so just as through Joseph's story, we see Joseph gain strength and and patience and endurance, uh, see him be able to have joy and, and faith in the most difficult and trying of times, just as we are able to see those things in Joseph, I think because Joseph knows that God is with him, so too we are reminded around the table each Sunday that God is with us. Uh, Because just like the cupbearer, we need reminders. We forget, life gets in the way, trials get in the way, jobs get in the way, families get in the way, 
uh, difficulties get in the way, financial issues get in the way, worldly events, political turmoil gets in the way, a myriad of things get in the way each and every week. But when we break bread and when we share in the cup, we are reminded that the Lord is with us. 